At our church, Jesus is Lord. That single belief calls us together as a community and sends us into our world with hope and purpose. At our church, your past will never define your future. There's always redemption, which means there's always a brighter day. At our church, we don't think we're better than any other church out there. We're just doing our best to become our best. At our church, we want you to believe in God, but we also want you to know that God believes in you. We are not against people who don't attend church anywhere. Instead, we pursue them with love, the very same love that's pursuing us. At our church, we're learning to serve God with all our hearts, and we're learning to worship Him with all our lives. And if you're looking for the perfect church, we're not it. At our church, we will make mistakes, but we will choose to grow from them. At our church, we're part of a global community that's knit together by the resurrection of Jesus. And by the way, at our church, we believe that really happened too. At our church, we will engage with people who are in real need because we are the hands and the feet of Christ. And finally, we need you to hear this loud and clear. At our church, it's not really our church at all. It's His. And we live and move and breathe in His church for His glory and His fame, not ours. So here's the invitation. You're invited to jump in with your whole heart at your own pace and to experience the life that awaits you in Christ. Friends, this is going to be good. Welcome to our church. Hi, I'm Rob Dickerson, lead pastor at LifeQuest Community Church in Hilton, New York. We invite for announcements, guys. One of those things. That... Are we clapping for Matt? It was for a great job of announcements. Are we clapping in anticipation of, yay, the word of God, right? Just switch our mentality. That, that should be the way we do it. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor uh, in Ohio, we used to do this thing every Thanksgiving where we would, uh, we would invite a, a church planter or the pastor of a smaller church in our district that uh, maybe they, they weren't doing you know, great uh, or they were, had gone through a difficult season. And my, my pastor and his wife, they would like turn into uh, Mission Impossible operatives. And they would find out what their favorite food was. They would get the sizes of all their kids' clothes and for two or three months, uh, we had families that would just go buy gifts for this family. And then he would tell the pastor, they would, we want you to come and speak on a Wednesday night um, right before Thanksgiving just because I'm, you know, just we'd love to have you come and visit with us and preach. And so the, the rule was every time that there was a guest speaker, like as soon as they came up to the platform, everyone went wild clapping and it was just it was just a thing that we did and and it was it was fun to do that and then they would preach their you know a wednesday night message like they would do normally uh and then pastor would say okay hold on a second and the back doors to the sanctuary would bust open and shopping cart after shopping cart would come down the center aisle stuffed full of groceries and gifts for this family to just bless their socks off just because. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it'd be fun if we could figure out a way that we could do that here. We don't have doors that we could bust through, and we only have Sunday mornings. So we'd have to have they they'd have to not be at their church to be here for us. But uh, finding a way to do something like that to bless 
another pastor in their family. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, all right, so we are in the book of Malachi today. Uh, so you would technically, you would think that this is the end of the Old Testament, but uh, by, according to our reading plan, we actually have one more, actually two more books of the Bible to go because in the original uh, Hebrew layout of the Old Testament, the books of First and Second Chronicles, which to early uh, Hebrew people was just the book of Chronicles. It wasn't split into two books. It was just, it was scroll number one or scroll number two. Um, and again, to remember that uh, the chapters and verses uh, when Malachi sat down to write this, uh, he did not think, okay, chapter 1, verse 1 of this writing. Uh, chapters and verses weren't added to the scripture until the 1500s. So for for nearly, uh, well, for the Old Testament, for multiple thousands of years, it was the book of Malachi, or it was the book of Chronicles. Uh, and so we're going to talk about Malachi today, and then the next uh, next couple of, next weekend we'll tackle first uh, and second chronicles, although that will take us two weeks to read. And then after that, we're going to be in the New Testament. If you've been reading along, if you've stayed on track, you have successfully, and it's okay if you haven't. I, I know it's kind of like, oh, it's it's hard. It is. It's hard. It's a discipline. It's it's challenging to 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 stay uh, on, on task. It, but it's not impossible to catch up. So don't be discouraged. You can catch up. Um, there were a few days uh, over the course of this summer where I was just like, okay, I just need to set like a block of time and I'm just going to crank through and get caught. Ezekiel was hard for me this year. I don't, I don't know about you. Ezekiel, it's a hard book no matter what. Um, and yeah, right? Even with these guys, it's hard to understand what's going on in Ezekiel. Um but this week we read the book of Zechariah and the book of Malachi. And I, I don't know about you, I, I can't, when I was doing some, some homework just to kind of get ready for today, I couldn't for the life of me find uh, a, a thought or a message out of Malachi um, that I could remember that had anything other than tithing. Right? Can you, can you think of a message that you've heard out of the book of Malachi that had to do with anything other than that passage on tithing? Right? And there's so much in this book, more so than tithing. Uh, and we'll talk about tithing a little bit, but not a whole lot, because that's not the point of the book. Um, yesterday, I just want to share a funny story. Um, yesterday, my mom and dad celebrated 50 years of marriage and yeah uh, and yeah that's worth clapping over and and my mom is actually she's taking my aunt pat to the hospital um and i was trying to find a way to share this joke last night but it just didn't fit and so i, I just want to throw it in there just because it's fun to the airport did i say hospital i don't know why i said that she's not at the hospital she's going home she's she's doing she's good uh yeah i don't forgive me they're going to the airport airport good all right so there was a story about a husband and wife and they were celebrating their 50th anniversary and at their party kind of like last night the they they had a cake and they were cutting the cake and and if you know anything about my dad 
my dad cries, right? If you give him an opportunity to talk about something, he will blubber. And nice job last night, right? There was, there was very, Jay cried more than you. Um, but as this couple are cutting their cake, the husband starts to cry. He's tearing up. And, and for this guy, it was unusual. And so she, she looked at him and she said, I never knew you were so sentimental. And he said, no, no. <laughs> as he chokes back the tears, he goes, that's not it at all. And so she's like, honey, what's, what's wrong? He said, he said, remember when your father found us in the barn and told me that I had to marry you or spend the next 50 years in jail? She said, yes, I remember it like it was yesterday. Well, the husband said, today I would have been free. <laughs> I, it didn't really fit last night. It doesn't really fit today either, but it's pretty funny. I, you saw, you re-upped, right? You re-upped. Um, yeah. But this... The book of Malachi is, is really, um, it's been powerful to, to go through. I probably have read it like half a dozen times, uh, over the course of this week just because I just, I, I read it and then I read it in another version and then I read it again. Um, and it, it kind of messed me up a little bit. I don't know about you, uh, if, if it hits you, um, the way that it hit me this week, but, uh, I want to let uh, Tim and John uh, do their thing and give us an overview of the book of Malachi, and then we'll we'll jump right in. Thanks. The book of the prophet Malachi. He lived about a hundred years after the Israelites had returned from their Babylonian exile, and his message was directed to the people who had been living in Jerusalem for some time now. The temple had been rebuilt a while ago, and things were not going well. Just remember the stories from Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, when the Israelites first returned from exile, their hopes were high. They would return and rebuild their lives and the temple. All of the great promises of the prophets would come true. The Messiah would come and set up God's kingdom over a unified Israel and over the nations and bring justice and peace for all. But that's not what happened. The Israelites who repopulated the city proved to be just as unfaithful to God as their ancestors, resulting in poverty and injustice. And so in Malachi, we find out just how corrupt this new generation has become. The book's designed as a series of disputes, and most sections begin with God saying something, making a claim or an accusation, and then Israel will disagree or question God's statement. And then God will respond and offer the last word. This happens six times. In the first three disputes, God exposes Israel's corruption. And in the final three disputes, he confronts their corruption. And the overall impression you get from these arguments and disputes is that the exile fundamentally didn't change anything in the people. Israel's hearts are as hard as ever. The first dispute starts when God says that he still loves his covenant people despite their failures. And Israel rudely objects, saying, how have you shown us any love? And so God reminds them of how he graciously chose the family of Jacob, their ancestor, to become the carrier of God's covenant promises, instead of Esau, his brother, and the family that came from him, who eventually came to ruin. Remember the stories from Genesis and the book of Obadiah. And so right from this first dispute, Israel is exposed as suspicious doubting God's love and faithfulness. 
The second dispute exposes a problem with Israel's second temple. God accuses the people of despising and defiling the temple. And the people fire back, how have we despised you? And so God responds by focusing on the people, how they're bringing shamefully lame offerings of these sick, blemished animals that show that they don't value or honor their God. But it's not just the people, it's the priests too who run the temple. They not only tolerate but participate in these corrupt forms of worship. From top to bottom, God's people have proven faithless. In the third dispute, God accuses the Israelite men of treachery against him and their wives, which of course they deny. And God exposes the toxic combination of idolatry and divorce taking place. You have Israelite men marrying non-Israelite women and then adopting the worship of their wives' ancestral gods into their homes. Remember the story from Nehemiah chapter 13. And so Malachi connects this to a wave of men divorcing their wives for no good reason. And the people are all fine with this. And Malachi says, no, it's a betrayal of your covenant with God. And so Malachi transitions into the second set of disputes that confront Israel's rebellion. So the fourth dispute begins with the Israelites accusing God of neglect, saying, where is the God of justice? They see injustice and corruption abounding, and God seems to do nothing. So God responds by saying that he'll send a messenger who will prepare the people for God's personal return in the day of the Lord. He will come like fire to purify his people and to remove idolatry and sexual immorality and injustice so that only the faithful remnant is left to become his people. In the fifth dispute, God calls the people to turn back to him, to which the people say, how can we turn back? And so God confronts their selfishness. He shows how they've stopped offering a tithe of their income to the temple. Now, that word tithe just means one-tenth. It's the amount of their income and produce that the Israelites were to annually donate to support the temple and its priests. The practice is laid out in different parts of the Torah. Now, we know from Malachi and from the book of Nehemiah that the people were neglecting this response. And so the temple was falling into disrepair. And so God confronts them. He says he wants to bless them with abundance, but only if they're going to be faithful. In the final dispute, the people accuse God and say that it's pointless to serve him. They observe wicked, prideful people succeeding in life, and God does nothing. And God's response for the first time in the book is not a speech but rather a short story about the faithful remnant in Israel, people who fear the Lord and they love to get together and talk about how to honor God and serve him. And so God orders that a scroll of remembrance be written for these people so that they can read the scroll and remember God's character and promises. Malachi, he's reflecting here on the divine gift of the scriptures, how they point us to the past to remember what God has done in order to inspire faithfulness and hope for the future which leads to the conclusion of the book. It picks up and develops the imagery of the fourth dispute about the coming day of the Lord, but it develops it further. God says that he's appointed a day of purifying judgment that will consume the wicked from among his people. But what the conclusion adds is the future of the faithful remnant, because for them, the day of the Lord is not a threat. It's a cause for joy. It'll be like the rays of the rising sun that bring healing and life and hope for the future. And so Malachi's disputes come to a close, but there's still a bit more to this book. The final three verses, they're not part of the disputes, and actually they function like a concluding appendix, bringing closure not just to Malachi, but to the whole collection of the Torah and the prophets. 
So first, the reader is called to remember the law, or the Torah, of my servant Moses. This recalls the story and the laws of the covenant that you find in the first five books of the Bible. But then we hear this summary of the books of the prophets. I will send the prophet Elijah before the day of the Lord, who will restore the hearts of God's people. So this conclusion, it summarizes the Torah and the prophets as a unified story that points to the future. Israel was redeemed by God, and then they betrayed him through their rebellion and hard hearts, breaking the laws of the Torah. But the scriptures anticipate a future day when God's going to send a new prophet, a Moses, a new Elijah, who will restore God's people and heal their hard hearts. Remember all of the promises from Deuteronomy and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And so this concluding appendix presents the scriptures as a divine gift to read and to ponder and to pray over. They tell the truth about the human condition, about our selfishness and our sin. But they also announce God's promise that one day he would send a messenger and then show up personally to confront evil, to restore his people and bring his healing justice. And it's that future hope that Malachi and the Torah and all of the prophets are about. little bit more than just tithing in the book of Malachi, right? Um, I think the the thing that that is just so powerful about this book is it it for for all of the, us as as twenty uh, first century Christians, it's the last book of the Old Testament, and it wraps up for us the the law, uh, the Torah, and the prophets and sets us up for the New Testament. And what's interesting is that after Malachi's prophecy, there was a season of about 400 years that no one heard anything from God. That the next time that God speaks, the next time that God interacts with people is in Matthew when angels begin to talk to to Mary and to Joseph that and and that to me is terrifying that the the thought of God being silent right that the one thing that struck me so much in in the video was that God had through as we've been reading through the old testament God had warned his people over and over and over again stop behaving this way or there's going to be consequences right and so finally, they had come to the point where they had uh, broken his covenant and broken his covenant and broken his covenant. And then he said, all right, enough is enough. Off you go to exile. And you're going to be in captivity for 70 years, right? I don't know about you. If you ever put a kid in timeout um, for seven seconds, right? It's like they're, you're killing them. They get sent to captivity for 70 years and they come back from the captivity and now we're a hundred years after they've returned from exile and they have they have just they've done it again um and we look back at the old testament and we're like oh yeah those guys right they just can't get it what you know those israelites they they just constantly are breaking God's promises and breaking God's promises. 
And, and I look at the Old Testament and I feel like I'm looking in a mirror. Right? Because we're still doing it. We're still breaking the promises. We're still messing it up. I can't tell you how many times I had to stop and put my Bible down as I was reading through Malachi because it was just like, wow. Um, this was not just a book written to a bunch of people who died a couple thousand years ago. God was speaking to me as I was reading this. If you look, uh, the, what I love about the book, even though it's a pronouncement of, of you guys are still not getting this, it opens in Malachi chapter 1. This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi, or, or if you're Italian, Malachi, uh, the, the Italian prophet. Uh, the Lord's, I love the, the opening header. If, if your Bible has those headers, the Lord's love for Israel. Verse 2, I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, really? How? Right? Have you ever talked to uh, a person uh, and got like a sarcastic, snarky response back? Ever experienced that? I don't know. Maybe it was, I, I don't, I've never encountered that with my children. Uh, they've never talked back or sassed in, in any way. Um, They're amazing kids. And so thank you guys. You guys are awesome. Um, but I hear that there are parents who confront their kids on things and they get right in mom and dad's face and we're like, what? How? I mean, literally, this is like, this is like a spanking waiting to happen if, if you were a parent talking to a child. I have always loved you. Really? Really, dad? How? how they respond ouch and he says this is how i showed my love for you i loved your ancestor jacob and and it's kind of hard because we don't want to see uh we don't want our parents to treat our our siblings differently or better way we don't love we don't like the idea of favorites um but right here god is like yeah i loved jacob better than i loved esau uh and i don't know that it necessarily means that he loved esau less uh, but he chose Jacob's family. And I blessed you and I took care of you. I love you, he said. Isn't that what the Lord spoke to us this morning? Right? I love you. May we guard our hearts and not respond back to God like the people of Israel. Really, God? How? Have you loved us? He's loved us in so many ways. He's blessed us. I know that you, we could say, share story after story after story of how God has shown his love and his mercy in each one of our families. Right? And then it goes on. It, it's not just their sass talking back to God. Then he starts to ask them about their unworthy sacrifices. In verse 6, the Lord of heaven's army says to the priests, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect that I deserve? You have co shown contempt for my name. 
you know, one of the things that was really specific, there were rules about what, what could be brought as an offering and what should not be brought as an offering, right? And they had gotten so far away that they were having church every weekend. They were, they were going to temple and they were, they were bringing their offerings, but they had devolved their worship from bringing a pure and spotless offering, a pure and spotless sacrifice to, I'm just going to bring, it's good enough, right? And so they're bringing animals to be sacrificed that were blind or that were, that had limbs that were broken. They, they literally, what they were doing is they were re-gifting. You ever gotten a re-gift, right? Where, where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what they, what they were giving to you was something they got as a white elephant gift at some Christmas party and it's been sitting on a shelf for the last 12 months and then, oh no, I forgot to get a gift for Ed. And so I'm going to pull that gift off. I'm going to wrap it up and, and I'm going to, I'm going to give it to Ed. Like, Ed, I was thinking of you, man, when I got you that, right? They were, they were just bringing whatever they could find. They weren't bringing their best. They weren't bringing what, what God had, had asked them to do. And so they were having church, but it wasn't church. And the hard part is that the priests were like, yeah, it's close enough, right? I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to tell you that, that what you're bringing really doesn't qualify. Uh, you know, you're not bringing your best, but, you know, close enough. A for effort. It's kind of terrifying for us when I think about um, the state of the church today. Are we bringing our best? Are we bringing our best in our focus? Are we bringing our best with our time? Are we giving him the best of who we are as, as we express our, our thankfulness for what he has done for us. I, I remember hearing one guy, uh, he was talking about the idea of, of what we bring uh, in our offerings to the Lord. He was talking about tithing. And, and he said, so I just want to make sure that I get this straight. He said, because, because God saw me in my sin, completely lost, completely broken, completely separated from him, Right? And I had no intention of making any move towards him, knowing that while I was yet a sinner, he sent his son to die in my place as a substitution, like Stacy said uh, during communion, right? That we, it wasn't just to set an example. We were broken and lost. And he sent his son to die for us. And, and if I put my trust in that sacrifice that was made as a substitute for me, that I get in return eternal life, that my sins get forgiven, and that I get to spend eternity with God in heaven. And I'm spared destruction, right? Because the alternative to that is eternal separation from God and, and eternity in, in punishment in the lake of fire. Not so fun, right? Anybody think that that would be a great way to spend forever and ever and ever and ever? No. And so 
God did all of those things for me, and I didn't even ask him to do it. And all he asks is in response that I offer the best that I have. And I, and, and 10% of, of my income to, to worship him. I think that's a pretty fair deal. Right? That I get eternal salvation. I get his blessing. I get his guidance. I get his provision. And he asks for one tenth of my income. And, and not only that, but that his blessing will be on that 90% that's left over rather than trying to do everything that I can with my hundred without his blessing, right? I just, it boggles my mind how, how we can look at the blessings of God and what he's given us and, and we still act like the Israelites and say, really God, how? Really God, are you, are you really going to do that for me? Chapter 2 is the warning to the priests and, and the call to faithfulness. Guarding your hearts. It says in, in chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your broken, blind, regifted offerings. And he doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows that you and your wife made when you were young. And you've been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, your wife, the wife of your marriage vows. You're wondering, why God, why won't you answer our prayers? And, and you've been unfaithful. Then he jumps to the day of judgment. And, and this is where I think we can get excited about the book of Malachi. Because it's now pointing to something that makes a very, you can really, really clearly see the, the resolution to what Malachi is prophesying. Because he points to someone, and, and if you look uh, in chapter 3, it says, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Who does that sound like? John the Baptist. Exactly. It's in the opening passages of the New Testament. Every verse that talks about John the Baptist, it says, Behold, he prepares a way in the wilderness. Malachi is pointing directly 400 years into the future and saying there's going to be someone who's going to come and prepare the way you know sometimes like like reading through the book of ezekiel or uh the reading through zechariah or some of the, the other prophets and the horns and and all of that stuff you're like i'm i'm baffled at what is going on here but malachi is crystal clear it couldn't be any clearer i'm going to send a messenger and then he says uh, chapter 3, verse 1, I'm going to send a messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Well, how did that happen? How did the Lord come to his temple? Anybody remember? Mary and Joseph 
brought the baby to the temple and nobody got it. There were two people, right? Simeon and Anna, who recognized that when Mary and Joseph crossed that threshold into the temple, they were bringing this beautiful little boy into the temple. Anna and Simeon recognized it. Nobody else did. Nobody else got it. They'd been waiting for 400 years for the fulfillment of this prophecy, and two people got it. Ouch. Right? Then he shows up again at the temple. When's the next time he shows up at the temple? When he's 12 years old, right? And, and he's, he's blowing people away with his grasp of the Old Testament, what we are just now wrapping up, his understanding of the Torah and the prophets. And, and like people just can't believe, man, this kid really paid attention in Hebrew school. Like he is really, like he's amazing. And they still didn't get it. The next time he comes to the temple, he gets people's attention. What happens the next time he comes to the temple? Yeah, he's flipping tables and throwing chairs. And you have taken my father's house, the temple, and you've turned it into a den of thieves. They've been looking for this Messiah. They've been waiting for the coming day of the Lord. And he shows up and they still don't get it. Right? And he's right there in the temple. I wonder how many times we miss it. When God shows up in a a real way in our lives, are are we looking for him to appear? at work, or at school, or with our families, or with our neighbors? Are we looking for opportunities where he shows up, or do we miss it? Then in chapter 3, it goes on to, uh, to a call to repentance. And, and that is, this chapter is where he calls people out, and, and he says uh, in, in verse Six, he says, I am the Lord and I do not change. And that's why your, you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven armies. And here they go again, snarky teenage Israel. They say, but how, how can we return when we've never gone away. We didn't go anywhere. Seriously? You ever talk to somebody and you're just kind of like, you're really going to respond to me that way? To, to God? Where? What do you mean return to you? We didn't go anywhere. How can we return when you, we've never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. And then they ask, how? How did we cheat you? And he says, you have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. 
Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall off of the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven armies. And all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. His blessing is a promise when we obey, when we are obedient to his word. And and when we turn to him, he runs to us. Jump ahead now. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, the Lord of heaven's army says the day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. I remember 25 years ago uh, at my wedding, my grandmother and grandfather officiated uh, our wedding ceremony. And... Um, so my grandfather uh, was the pastor uh, in Dansville forever, pastor in, in, in Montana and in North Dakota, uh, and um, was an ordained minister for decades, 50, 60 years. And, and so grandpa officiated the, the ceremony itself. And then my grandma Braun, she spoke kind of like the, the sermon of, of the, the ceremony. And um, I've made it my personal mission uh, to be as much like my grandpa uh, and not so much like my grandma when I do weddings uh, because my grandmother preached for 45 minutes uh, in our wedding ceremony. And uh, because it was my mom and dad's 25th wedding anniversary, we included them in our ceremony. And so they did a 25-year vow renewal in the middle of our wedding. Um, and then grandma preached for 45 minutes. And... It's so funny because she talked to us about, uh, in your marriage, I want you to be like young goats. And we were like, young goats? And I'm just like, Grandma, what are you doing? And But it's this idea out of Malachi. It says uh, that, um, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings and you will go free and you will leap with joy like calves let out to pasture. On that day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked uh, as if they were dust under your feet. Remember to obey the law of Moses, your servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai. Look, again, now he's pointing again to John the Baptist. He says, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. The end. That's the, those are the closing words of the Old Testament. Um, I think for us this morning, what God wants us uh, to, to apply to our hearts is that he loves us. And he loves us the people that you know and the people that you love. He loves your friend that thinks you're weak. He loves 
your coworkers and your family members and your neighbors and, and the kids that live down the street. And he wants us to share the hope that we have, that, that when we're obedient, when we are honoring him, his blessing rests on us. And then that, that overflow of his blessing is how we are able to show the blessing of God that, that is available to people who are lost. That makes sense? Amen. Let's pray. If I could get a couple of a couple of ladies um, to just come and pray for Valerie. She's been struggling as we close in prayer. So come on over, lay hands on her as we close in prayer. We're going to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. If the rest of us, if you wouldn't mind just extending your hand. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your healing power. And Father, we ask for your touch on Valerie, that you would touch her from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, that you would fill her with your courage, you would fill her with strength, you would fill her with life. Lord, I pray for her doctor's appointments this week, that you would give you would give good news. And uh, Father, we pray for this cough, that it would, it would subside, that her voice would return. And Lord, we just speak, like as you speak, curses on things in scripture lord we curse cancer in jesus name and we speak life over valerie today i pray that she would feel your touch your arms around her today and 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 through the rest of this week in jesus name amen amen blessings pray that you have an amazing week um, next week, uh, we're going to be in second Chronicles. So it's kind of like the story so far. Uh, and then in, in a couple of weeks, we jump into the new Testament. Um, so if you're not caught up in your old Testament reading, set some side today, some time, set some time aside today, sit outside on the deck, grab your Bible and get caught up because we're jumping into the new Testament, uh, in, in a couple of weeks. Blessings. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the LifeQuest Worship Experience. If you're in Hilton, you can join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. We meet in the Hilton Community Center, 59 Henry Street. We have a full children's ministry program during the 10 a.m. service, including care for nursery through sixth grade. Please join us again online at lifequest.cc or in person at the Hilton Community Center. We pray you have a blessed week.